we had online classes for about a month and soon enough we'll be turning up for them once again at the start of the next semester so we decided to try our hands at a little interview on online education first and foremost let's just get the pros and cons out of the way and um i'm i'm excited to know what you think that they are because some of them that i managed to come up with were the ones that i only realized were pros and cons once you were actually immersed in the entire experience so mm-hmm. to get the ball rolling i mean obviously there's the convenience right we used to have uh, i think classes used to begin at 8:10 a.m. and i used to wake up i mean my alarm was for, i think 7:55 or something like that so you know it's just you wake up and then you switch on google meet and you're automatically in the classroom and then the cons obviously come with the fact that there's no physical presence and therefore that communication channel is somewhat different so yeah. what are your views on this okay uh, in terms of pros i would say i'm genuinely grateful that the classroom has been liberated from just one person speaking it's an acknowledgement that we are in the 21st century 20 years into the 21st century and that it's possible to learn by looking at a video from any part of the world so just because say for example i am teaching you guys principles of economics doesn't mean i have to be the guy to talk i can say yaar ek kaam kar lo wo video dekh lo and we'll discuss the video in uh, class so the availability and the acknowledgement of the existence of a variety of online resources um on part of universities forced or otherwise is i would argue a very good thing that's one major pro second and people laugh when i say this but i'm not joking the ability to both conduct as well as attend classes while not being formally dressed is just an <laughs> immense immense agree privilege to go for it so we've taken the formality out of the classroom so that's another huge pro as far as uh, i'm concerned the major con as far as i can see is i miss being able to judge whether students are interested or not need a break or not by just taking a look at facial tics gestures the way they are slouching on their benches or whatever it may be and that often used to provide a visual indicator ki ab time ho gaya thoda break de dete hain which is all but impossible to do in a classroom and uh, in a virtual classroom and it's not just the need to give a break you also get a sense of whether people are understanding whatever it is that you're saying but you know when you're staring at your own screen or at a presentation without being able to check or gauge how students are doing that i think will be much more difficult right, also right. i think on balance it's a good thing that students are um going to learn in a world in which they have have to multitask so often in universities up until now you would be told you're not allowed to take a look at your devices phones not allowed tablets not allowed computers not allowed but now not only are they allowed you can't live without them so it's all too possible to have a facebook tab or an insta tab open while the lecturer is droning on and that is both good and bad at the same time so bad because you are going to lose particip- all participants are going to lose the ability to focus but also you're being trained for the way you're going to live the rest of your lives it's going to be a hyper connected world and your training starts right now those would be the major right. pros and cons for me yes i think it comes down to the internet being this sort of egalitarian platform so as you mentioned you know you can always have a few tabs open on the side but also the fact that you can go ahead and you know look for a couple of other videos to lead to the subject it's it's just an open field out there correct uh now that we're done with the pros and cons uh we'll move on to the next question which is uh now we've seen students in america asking for a refund of tuition fees obviously because they aren't going to be using the infrastructure or whatever and we've heard from a few acquaintances about how they're planning on taking a gap year rather than enrolling themselves for a new program do you think that's reasonable 
Okay, so I have a slightly controversial take on this. I think students and parents uh, need to be aware of what it is that you're purchasing when you enroll in a college. I don't think you're purchasing the learning as much as you're purchasing the credential. So yes, college is supposed to be about learning and college is supposed to be all about uh, classes. But let's be honest, really what you want out of it at the end of the day is the degree. Uh, not just in Gokhale Institute, but wherever you go, much more attention is paid in class the minute a teacher is going to say, Ki, uh, this, what I'm going to teach next is important for the syllabus or important for the examination. It's it's almost like a abracadabra password to open up the magic cave and suddenly everybody will sit up and start paying attention. So learning isn't as important as the college acknowledging that you've learned and the college acknowledges that you've learned through the examination and through the credentialing. That being said, and it is precisely for this reason that I would argue that fees going up or down wherever in the world is a function of how expensive or cheap the credentialing has become. It's not about learning at all. It, let's be frank over here, never was. And so if a college says that we are not going to reduce the price, they're not saying that the price is a function of the teaching. The price is a function of how relatively scarce that particular credential is. And maybe an unpopular take for colleges, for students and for parents, but I think it's important to call a spade a spade. About the second thing that you asked, which is about a gap year, God, yes, I think it is an excellent idea for a student to take a gap year. You can choose when to do it, after the 12th standard, after your undergrad, after your postgrad, whenever. But I think it's important to take a break and travel and learn. To my mind, the best and possibly the only way to really learn. So in my personal opinion, yes, absolutely a gap year must be taken. But ironically, I would say that this year would be a bad year to take a gap year because if you're not going to be able to travel, then what is the point of taking a gap year? So because you're stuck at home and because you're not going to have the option to travel, this year, in fact, is the best year to not take a gap year. But outside of COVID, is a gap year a good idea? It's a fantastic idea. Right, sir. Uh, so the next question is going to be a little bit contradictory, but uh, some fields like engineering and medicine, the learning is equally as important as the credential, right? So they require a lot of hands-on practical training and experimenting and all of that. Yep. So will the online course be like justify this, like justify all the education that they actually need? No, in particular, when it comes to some fields of engineering that are not coding intensive, where you actually want to practice working on a machine and God, yes, for uh, medicine, I don't think online credentialing will work at all. So I would yeah. be, anyways, I'm nervous when I sit in, in a dentist chair. But if you're telling me to sit in a dentist chair where the dentist has been trained on dummy sets rather than real life patients, then no, I'm going to be petrified. So no, it's not a one size fits all answer at all on my part. But for courses such as economics, sociology, and most of the humanities, I would say, although even there, not all, it's perfectly possible to conduct classes online with hardly any ramifications. In fact, to be even more controversial at the end of the COVID crisis, whenever it happens, I think administrators, parents, and students are going to have to take a hard look at themselves and ask why are students spending so much time in a classroom in the first place? Right. I mean, for college, that makes sense. Like for courses like ours, but for the science-related courses, it, like as you said, it's not like a one-size-fits-all. Exactly. For, uh, and then, uh, Nidhi, I would say for the physical sciences more than anything else. So it's perfectly possible to teach, say, for example, IT or whatever it may be using um, 
online classes, but medicine and certain aspects of engineering where you're actually required to use a machine. Civil engineer, for example, having learned only the theory but not the practice would make me very yeah. nervous. <laughs> yeah. Also, so what's your take on the school children and like how they've been forced to do like an online form of their education? I've heard children who are doing PT online and stuff. So like, what's your take on that? Online courses for schools. So I am in this interview going to be deliberately politically incorrect. And in this case, I will want to use the word stupidity. If anybody is conducting PT classes <laughs> online, then it makes no sense whatsoever. That's just nuts. Yeah. To the extent possible, I would argue kids should not be attending online classes. In my opinion, and this is based on uh, I having a seven-year-old daughter at home, I think it makes sense for children to learn from a one-on-one -on -one experience or a real-life one-on-many experience. But an online class just doesn't cut it. If you are going to do it, so if, uh, you might want to look up, say, for example, uh, Summer Camp with Google, which is they've launched for kids for this summer. Hmm. Asking a child to do it and being around when a child does it, there's a world of a difference between these two activities. So if a parent is able to spare the time to be around the child while the child is learning something, that's much, much better than just online classes. Online classes are sad for school children. That's not how life is supposed to be. Yeah. Also, they can't even interact with like their friends and have that sort of socialization, which is so important growing up. My daughter, for example, she loves uh, taking a look at the video recordings that her school sends across. But one of her major points of attraction is being able to look at her classmates rather than the teacher yeah. herself. And as soon as I started speaking about her school, she couldn't help but pop in <laughs> on the interview. Makes sense completely. I don't know what I'll do if I was stuck in that situation. Anidhi, just one second. So I'm talking yeah. about your school because uh, they asked me a question about how big people learn and how small people learn. So I was talking about how small people learn. Now, now let me talk, okay? Yes, sorry about Anidhi. Please go ahead. Yeah, so coming on to the next question. I mean, mm -hmm. but there's also like the flip side of that where for at least our age, individual learning is really being hyped up and people are taking on different, like they're taking different courses and like expanding their skill set right now. And this is the best yeah. time for that. So when I looked up uh, the term online courses, free online courses on Google Trends, there was a giant spike around April and now it's starting to fall in June as like the colleges and uh, classes are starting and yes. schools are starting to open up. So what's your take on that? Like, is that, will that ever be able to make up for like a college or like a school education? Neither sitting in a physical classroom nor attending online classes is at the end of the day a substitute for doing. So right. and the other thing that you should keep in mind when you take a look at online courses, especially this year in the time of the pandemic is you, your neighbor, your neighbor's cousin, everybody's going to be doing these online courses, attending God knows how many online seminars. So the oversupply of these certificates there are going to be so many people strutting around with these certifications that these certifications are going to be more or less meaningless. So the other thing that I'm hoping will happen as a consequence of this pandemic is it's not just online learning, but eventually people realizing that the equilibrium will lie in actually doing stuff or applying whatever it is that you've learned. So the kind of work that you guys are doing right now, I'm hoping and I'm really hoping I'm not being... Uh, trying to be funny over here. I'm hoping that you've learned much more about whatever it is that you've built a podcast on than you ever could have in a classroom. 
there's a world of a difference between learning something and doing something yeah so the cool. best kind of learning should be making podcasts available blogs available uh, vlogs available whatever it may be and even if each student on an individual basis says you know what i'm going to keep a target in mind could be my younger cousin could be a sibling could be a neighbor in the building and i'm going to try and teach him or or her whatever it is that i'm creating online resources for that's a much 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 better way to learn online certifications overrated putting stuff online for other people to consume i think is even now underrated recently there have been a lot of predictions that there is to be a revolution uh, in the mode of offering higher education mainly because it offers a mode that has practically no fixed cost and so that's why universities will be keen to adopt that mode sooner if not way later i mean i can see why demand for this kind of education may be expected to uh, say for people who have certain limitations regarding time or geography as in those have child care or parental care or other responsibilities or are employed and are just you know looking to further their education or have to like live in really remote areas so they have to apply for distance learning but uh, can we do away with the traditional system as we know it entirely like, can that model really pick up now as a widespread choice among regular college students I think it should, uh, but with certain caveats applied. So, if you are going to be sitting at home and listening to somebody talk online, then the natural question to ask is, well, then why the professor from my college? If there is somebody else somewhere in the world who's built much better content regarding this particular topic, then why on earth should I be restricting myself to only whatever it is that my prof or my college is teaching me? And it's a very reasonable question to ask. Say, for example, I had to teach a course on international trade for the master student at the Gokhale Institute. and as an example let's say paul krugman has a course on international trade theory available on say coursera it would be madness on my part to try and convince students that the students should listen to me there's a nobel prize winning economist who's got a class out on the same subject please go and listen to him he'll forget the students i will listen to him but the value that i add will be having watched the video can i guide the students through what else they should watch speak about the nuances Coursera can't, by definition, scale the personal interaction. So there is still a role for universities and professors, but it is a complement to really, really good online resources. Trying to be a substitute for these online resources is, I think, futile, and it would be a waste of time to try and do it. But complementing those resources and saying to students, "Hey, you know what? This is what that person meant to say. In addition, watch this. Also, have you thought about doing X, Y, Z?" is, I think, not just worth its weight in gold. but that would be a really valuable college to go to where professors act not as the suppliers of content but as a curators of content that model i think not just has a stance but people would be willing to pay a lot if they have the right curator available i see so when we come to say the topic that you mentioned earlier about how say certain humanities are more well adapted to online instruction Mm-hmm. if we were to implement a more mixed model permanently if you will right like a 50 yeah. 50 or any other suitable breakup between attending physical and online lectures yeah. how would that pan out for the longevity of online education coming mainstream which is um, quite the prediction that's going around nowadays how do you um, and will it will it i mean is it is it just a trend that's picking up right now and therefore people just want to jump on the bandwagon I'm not sure I got the entirety of your question and correct me if I haven't we can do this uh, once again but I think it's important that the model evolves and not 
and that we're not stuck in a binary world where it's either only the university-based physical classroom setting after COVID ends or shifting entirely to an online experience. I think the ability for students wherever they are in the world to come together as a bunch and say, we are going to tackle this class together and have somebody work as a mentor slash curator rather than as a didactic person who's going to talk endlessly. I think that model not just has a chance, but I think that is the way universities are going to look like in the future. And my guess is that would have happened in any case sooner rather than later. Your kids, for example, and I know it's a hypothetical concept for all of you right now, but if and when you guys choose to have kids, it would, to me, be a huge failure if those people attended classes the way you are attending classes right now before the pandemic struck. College has to evolve, but that doesn't mean college has to die, nor does it mean that we have to live in an isolated online dystopian world where you plug in your headphones and stare at a screen the whole day long. Something in the middle is, I think, where the equilibrium will eventually converge. Now, where exactly, under what circumstances, for which country is a different problem altogether. But either extreme will not survive, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, because I can think of a few benefits that, you know, we can foresee once we go with a mixed model. Say we have... uh, commute being saved and then also things like as you mentioned so the importance of a gap year which i think largely goes unrecognized especially in india yeah you can't travel when you're studying because both of those are sort of you know considered your all time consuming activities so you're either traveling or you're either studying or you're working or it's just one thing that you're doing at the time correct so and if, yes in in addition to that i would say that if therefore you're thinking of a world in which you take classes online only and you wake up in the morning and at 8 in the morning, you plug in your headphones and you stare at a screen until 2 in the afternoon. That is equally horrible, for me at least, to contemplate. So there has to be a model between the two that works. And that, I think, is where college will head towards in the near future. Hopefully. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that was it. Thank you for joining us today. Anytime. That was our conversation on higher education during COVID-19. Now, for the conclusion, I think we're at the cusp of a real change here. The digital revolution, which started decades ago, has now truly covered all its bases in that it has permeated those sectors and got all those on board who have historically sworn by the can't teach an old dog new tricks maxim. Perhaps now, more so than ever, change is truly inevitable. And by the looks of it, it's here to stay. But as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. I see what you did there. I was hoping for that. Maybe I've made the right predictions, or maybe the world will find new ways of surprising us yet again. Any which way, time will tell, like it always does. Nonetheless, as you can tell by the interview, these new habits of ours are still a little rough around the edges. I reckon it'll take a while before technology can give us that same seamless experience. So, call me a traditionalist, but I'm glad that it'll be my hypothetical children at the centre of these full-fledged transformations. I couldn't agree more. So, thanks for joining us this episode. The Crisis Pickers Consumer will be back next week with Spend It, Save It, a peep at what's up with the spending habits of the world. If you like this episode, 
we love for your feedback and support on our social media pages at the undismal paradox on instagram facebook and twitter and since we're at the end of an era if i may say so myself i thought i'd pay homage and say goodbye the old fashioned way therefore allow me anushay along with devangi and nidhi to bid thee farewell <laughs>